0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Where's of Dragons podcast. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. It's one of like two things going into the new year I kind of want to do. Um, One of them is to do what I'm going to probably call a cartoon collage, where like I do a podcast episode on another show or cartoon like something anime that i love so a couple of things i want to talk about is like do an avatar Lester bender episode and maybe a legend of korra one but i definitely want to do things like the owl house infinity train um maybe she-ra although again <laughs> that might not be like super positive um but just kind of do over the garden wall I recently watched that for the first time I watched gravity falls I'm revisiting a childhood favorite that is super obscure I've never met another person who who's seen it and I didn't think it was going to hold up and it's holding up like it's so fucking good it's called spider riders and it's um it's genuinely amazing I'm like stunned and so I kind of wanna do that and then the other thing that I want to do kind of give more maybe like variety because we're still in hiatus we'll still be in hiatus for a little while and the next thing that we have coming out Dragon Prince wise is Blood Moon Huntress the like Runaan Afarirela like pre-series comic that's coming out in June so we have a while and so one of the things I thought would be fun is that kind of doing what we're doing today of like a sort of podcast episode that's focused on one dragon prince character and just kind of all my sort of thoughts about them so i I might be referencing other people's meta if i remember it or if i've read some other people's um i'm thinking maybe more for some like other characters like i feel like if i go there eventually when i talk about like runan or thari i'm sure i'm gonna reference some beautiful terrible queen's work because just chef's kiss um and stuff like that and whatever but for today's person we're doing rayla she won the vote on my patreon which you can have access to for only two dollars um a month and then there's like some slightly higher tiers but either way gets you like early access it lets you vote on some podcast things or like what fix get updated or what fix do i work on next in terms of like you know the if time is money sequel where my writing partner and I were finally finishing up um, looking for a way to break in, our Raylum Bodyguard AU. That's super fun. And then, like, some of my family planned one-shots, some of my um, Raylum fix that I want to get out. Although this, later on in February, mid-Feb, in, like, two, uh, less than two weeks, I'm doing, um, or I'm running the... Um, Book 2 Appreciation Week because it's just such a good season and we didn't get to have one. I really enjoyed running the one and seeing everything that people did for the Book 1 week that we did before the um, Season 1 novelization came out. And the Season 2 novelization came out like a week after Realm month this past summer. So like that was way too close. Um, So we're kind of doing it. And then I think last Season 2 anniversary, we just had a Valentine's week for Realm. I don't know. Maybe the people in the fandom did something different. I have no idea. And so, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. I thought this is a good year to finally have it. And I'm really excited. I'm hoping to have like maybe like a realm. I'm not hoping I'm going to have a realm piece out. I'm finally gonna update one of my little canon one shots, like Callum's POV through the seasons because I did season one all the way back during the book one appreciation week. So like. Finally, he's gonna get updated. so like, that'll be fun. That'll be happening later. Um, But yeah, so if you're interested in any of that, Patreon, worth of dragons, polls, early access, just, you know, a lot of fun stuff. I think it's worth it. Although I am amazed that I have any patrons at all. So thank you. And thank you for everyone who listens to this because every little bit helps and my sponsorships are still here. And it's a good, it's, we're doing all right. Um, I've been talking too long. So now to get, so kind of what I thought for the episode, um, character breakdown, just kind of like talking about their like POV and their relationships, kind of their upbringing, headcanons I have, thoughts that I've had. And so today's going to be Rela, the next one's probably going to be Soren, and then we'll narrow it down from there. Again, I'm going to do the votes on Patreon. I might also bring those over for free to Tumblr. I'm not sure yet. And then we'll just kind of go from there and just narrow it down further. Like, I know I want to do Ezrin earlier rather than later. I would love to do like Viren or Harrow and, you know, I, I kind of want to do Opelli. I have so many thoughts about Opelly, like arguably too many, too many thoughts about Opelly. Um, But today we're doing Rayla and I didn't think she was going to win the poll because I feel like I talk about her so much. Um, she is... As many of you probably already know, she's been my favorite Dragon Prince character literally since before the show came out. I saw the poster, I saw the back of her head, I went, Yeah, it's gonna be you. For some reason I just I just knew. Um, I loved her right away. I instantly found her compelling. I just had like this feeling. Um, and I, I don't usually have that feeling. Like I know my archetypes that I love, like I love a, a good caring, selfless leader. I love the character with like a guilt complex or I love the person who's been through a lot, but is still really kind. Um, And so, you know, usually I have a favorite among the cast, like, pretty early on into a show's run, especially if it's more like fantasy or there's higher stakes or something. and then Rayla just kind of came in, and I was like, "Wow, i love I love you so much." So I am excited to talk to her, talk about her. One of the things that I told myself is like I talk about her so much in re- in relation to her relationship with Callum because that's such an important part of her arc. It influ- they influence almost every single part of each other's arcs in some ways, or they relate to like an extension. So, like uh, you know, like obviously like Rayla and Renan's relationship exists separately from Callum, but it's still also impacted by Callum, and it will be impacted by him most likely in the future going forward, right? It's, it's kind of like that. It's like everyone in the Dragon Prince is very relational. Almost all of the characters are developed through their relationships, whether it's the ways that they stay the same or the ways that they change, you know, no one is an island. And if they are, it's like, because we just don't know much about them, kind of like Erevos, you know? He doesn't really have any interpersonal relationships, so we don't really know much about it. But in the Dragon Prince, everything is defined through relationship. It's something Avatar does a lot about, actually. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why Dragon Prince gives me that Avatar sense sometimes, which is, I'm not complaining at all. It's also, like, something the Infinity Train does a lot of, particularly in its, like, kind of in the first season, but, like, the next, like, three seasons are, like, very, very relationship-based and, like, I definitely was more emotionally invested the further in that we went in terms of the actual character over the plot. Or the... Although Season 1 Infinity Train is really good. Again, I'm getting off topic. So, Rayla. The, one of the goals for this podcast episode is for me to be talking about things regarding Rayla that I haven't really talked about before. I'm sure I'll repeat myself because I just have a lot of little dad meta posts running around out there on my blog that i made like three years ago and like i don't remember or i haven't put them into like a bigger post or I I try I always really try to not ever repeat myself too much in my meta. Like sometimes, you know, I, I'm reiterating a point that I've made before because it's come back in a season in a broader way or I'm reflecting further on something. So I'm hearkening back to a meta I've already written or something else I've noticed in a relationship dynamic before. But I try overall to always make sure I'm expanding a net and to make sure I'm never just purely reiterating um, unless usually, like, I have a point of contention because there's, like, a dumb take. And there's not many dumb takes, but, like, if it's, like, Callum doesn't care about Rayla, I'm, like, well, that's just blatantly not true, you know? So if, if it's something like that where I'm gonna be, like, okay, well, he does, and then I'm, we'll go over all of my metas that talk about just how much Callum cares about Rayla, you know? Things like that. Although I will say, the Dragon Prince makes me so happy that the fandom is, like, normal. Because I want to say I've only been in maybe like three or four, in in terms of fandoms that like I made content for. And and of that, there's like maybe 10 fandoms or something. Um, And I would say that the Dragon Prince, I can count on like maybe half of those fandoms were actually like chill and normal and like weren't super weird about the things in general. like i love avatar has a really bad fandom i was in voltron (sighs) i was in star wars and left because of the fandom racism um because i loved finn and i was just i don't have i couldn't do it i couldn't do that um i was in the legend of korra and i really liked my like subsection of the fandom because we were a side pairing but like the overall legend of korra fandom i think is like a mixed bag i don't know and so yeah like i've been in maybe like four really lovely nice fandoms and the dragon prince is definitely one of them so thank you again for being normal and now 10 minutes in we're actually going to talk about rayla so i think one of the things that like appeal to me about rayla and some of it's definitely like personality wise like i always like characters who have a really strong guilt complex and it's like i think you can probably garner maybe what that means for me as a person. Or, you know, I really love Rayla because she's so morally driven. I'm also very morally driven. So, like, even though in a story I'm able to be, like, have maybe more of a broadened perspective because, like, I'm surveying this through the story lens, I'm thinking maybe more rationally there's a part of me that like i wouldn't realize like it just feels wrong or it just feels right like i totally get what she means i don't know if i would also have the courage maybe my rational side or my you know scared side would maybe get in the way but i understand why Rela is so morally driven and i think that's one of the reasons i really really like her because she's kind of constantly um not only is she embroiled in conflict from the very start like her first scene is this failure and we see it in her eyes and we see it haunt her um throughout the rest of this this series and even into through the moon it keeps haunting her and like she's someone where like she's very much just constantly trying to like work through her past and just this weight that I think some of the other characters are only more conscious of later on, and really from the start is, like, aware of that, like, burden in some ways, which I think, again, I love the conflict, I love the inner turmoil, and I also love that her practicality, her grumpiness, her sense of self-preservation that she does have, particularly in season one, you know, like, when they're going up the cursed caldera and they hear the sound and Rayla's like, we'll just ignore it, whatever. And Ezrin's like, well, what if somebody needs help? And Rayla's like, ugh, fine. You know, like she she tries to be practical. And then, but when that, when that hits, it's very moonshot of her to be extremely practical, to divorce her, to, to detach herself. Um, and then that's constantly brushing a bit up against the morality and the morality is like what she has to believe in to, to be able to push herself to the extremes to be able to actually carry out her mission or what she believes and she has to have the morality, it can't just be practicality. And so like, I love seeing that tug of war, particularly in season one, I would say, and then by season two, she starts to like shift and it's like, It's I don't know it becomes less about practicality and more about her own sense of like paranoia in season two, which I think is interesting. And I think that speaks to like a few different changes of like she started to realize that she can depend on Callum and that like she as her and like they're a team. And I also think her paranoia starts to take starts to step up of like what if this goes wrong? What if we can't trust them? You know, like those sorts of things, I think that starting to bother her more because she cares more about the boys. And she already cares so much more about them than she has, like, any reason to. Like, even in early season one with the whole bloodthirsty monster understanding, you know, it's like, well, why wouldn't they think that? Like, what were you expecting? Why do you care so much unless you deeply care what they think of you, unless you want to be friends with them and so you can see that like re- and this is also again maybe one of the ways i've related to real Life in the past of like this really deep rooted like loneliness that's just there for like a variety of different reasons that i've talked about and um one of my earliest post season three metas i did a real and loneliness meta so if you want to hear more about that can check that out it's under my meta tab on my blog real and with two Ways on tumblr it's a really big directory but everything is labeled properly so just go have fun there's like 68 things on that thing um as you can see i read a lot of metas because i speak so eloquently on the fly and i don't know real is just like this very lonely like she's just and part of that's cultural like part of her martyrdom is absolutely cultural because she grew up in a society that was like you're already dead and if you don't act like it we will we will ghost you we will so she has a lot of like um death symbolism and like that makes sense because like she starts to show off as an antagonist she starts to show off as an assassin like she is more of a heartbringer of death in the first few episodes than viren overtly is or Claudia is maybe despite their character designs or despite their association with dark magic like Rayla is one of our death symbols really early on and we see her shake that off over time and then the end of season three reaffirms that capacity that she has in her when she does successfully kill a king of Catullus um and so I love the moon symbolism in her arc I think we're just going to ramble like this honestly we're just going to see where the fuck we end up, and I think it's gonna be fun. Um, you know, and even Rilla wanting to like hide her emotions, and her main problem is that she can't hide her emotions successfully. Callum pays too much attention, he can read her too well, and that's her big struggle in season one, because she doesn't want him to know her, but like he does. He can tell when she's lying, even like Run Runan was too blinded by his faith in her to see it. You know, and Callum wants to trust her, but he feels like he can't. And Rila wants to be trusted, but she feels like she can't actually let them in, right? So she wants that without um, having to reciprocate what trust means. And that's, again, another reason why I think the boys are some of the first real friends she's ever had. Which goes back to the loneliness thing. Um, Oh, so while I'm thinking of it, um, just because of Rila as a character and how I perceive her as well as just things from through the moon. Um, I do see real as somebody who regardless of her kind of upbringing and like life events because that can you know trauma and upbringing and things like that can um, lead to a higher likelihood of developing mental health issues but I do view real as somebody who due to just chemical imbalances would just have depression regardless that is like part of how i view her as a character um i think it makes sense i think that's what we see kind of in through the moon where like her circumstances are just amplifying what was already there now that she's in a space where she can technically let her guard down in ways she couldn't totally because it was just the span of the show was just such an adrenaline rush Um, and I also view a lot of her actions in Through the Moon through the lens of suicidal ideation, or at least that she's a character who has spades of that. So, if either of those things are something that are, you know, sensitive or triggering for you, you can skip this episode. That's okay. Um, and I'll do my best to, like, if you want to listen along, I'll do my best to preface if and when I'm going to be touching on those things more so if I even do. Um... But no pressure to listen. Please do what's best for you. You know, you're on mental health. Sometimes, you know, I, I've definitely listened to things where I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. And then, like, I'm kind of fine while I'm listening to it. And then later in the day, I st- I can't really get out of my head and it doesn't feel good. And I'm like, oh, that was probably more triggering than I realized, you know. So just gauge, chill, vibe. But we are probably going to be touching on those things because that is an important part of her character. Um... And, you know, it's something I also touched on in my original writing, and Rayla, although I conceived my protagonist, I had my protagonist kind of fully formed in, like, 2016, um, I realized, recent, semi-recently, that, like, my protagonist, despite being completed as, like, a character in terms of, like, personality and development and arc and whatever, um, is basically just Rayla and Claudia as one person, which you can fucking imagine what that's like really fun to write but again like my main protagonist also develops suicide ideation as a result of trauma later on and as the books go on that i'm working on so like you know it just it, it pops up and that's just kind of the warning i'm throwing in in case it's needed because you never know um And so, yeah. And so I think realist, some of her, it's like she has this like intense loneliness and she has this intense pride. Like she's very much a character informed by her duality, you know, like she's, she's symmetrical. She has the horns. she has the markings, whatever. And then I think, and she has like the dual blades. And then almost immediately we see her go off kilter because only one of her ribbons falls. And so throughout so much of the first season in particular she's like trying to be balanced again she's trying to return to that symmetrical that like perfect idea of herself of like she's the assassin she's the overachiever she can do everything you know she has to protect herself she has to protect other people she very much has that she can't rely on other people she has all of those ideas and then you know she gets saved. I think that's one of the really beautiful things at the end of season one is Rayla you know like the and again the cliff symbolism in her arc and I've touched on that I think before both in like a screen cap post and of gosh what was it I think it was when I was talking about the leap and how Rayla and Calum's arcs are building up towards the leap for like all of the seasons um but Rila has a lot of cliff symbolism she tends to like make big decisions on the the edge of the cliff or she seeks them out when she's particularly sad and desolate she goes to like high places and i'm like baby girl what are you doing you know like in 105 she goes to try and get the binding off and like have a moment to herself she's missing renan Or even like in season three, you know, she goes to the very top of the pinnacle after her fight with Callum and she's super bummed, you know? So I think that like in early season one, when she's going, she's like, I'm gonna redeem myself. Even the idea that she's like, again, like she's always working towards that idea of redemption, if not for her, then for her family. And so she very much like feels that burden. She's so much of surface pressure as a song, as like a person. Um, which I would like to make an AMV for, so I have started that. It's it's coming along. I think it's pretty good so far. I'm excited for it. It was an unexpected undertaking, but I'm having, a, I'm having a good time. And so in early season one, you have Rilla, she's heading to the castle, and she climbs a cliff, and she almost falls, but she catches herself, and then she has to find the internal grit to like, okay, I'm going to claw my way back up on my own. And we see a really nice kind of like steady build of like in 105 she goes she's sad she's on her own and then she hears Callan calling for help so she like bolts back and so you see that like the boys start to always bring her back from from the edge and even like in 109 you know she has to save Zim from going off the cliff with her bad arm so she's having that test of strength she's having that internal thing but I think what's beautiful is like from that moment onwards, whenever Rila goes to the cliff or goes to the shoreline to look at the reflection of herself that she hates that she does like three times in the show. again, like that's one of her other motifs. She doesn't like what she sees. Water is shame. she's ashamed of herself, you know, all those sorts of layers. And so every time she goes starts she goes to the cliff after one after the first episode, something's bringing her back, or, like, she saves Zim, and then then Zim and Callum save her, right? And so, and then you have, like, 207, she's making a decision, she's gonna go save the dragon, she jumps off the cliff, and then later Callum goes after her, and he bails her out, right? And so you, and then obviously the leap. And so you have that, like, consistent thread of, like, Rilla is somebody who has now come to realize that, like, she can't do everything on her own and she needs other people and that she can rely on other people and that's a really beautiful thing and i'm super super proud of her but at the same time then through the moon you have that clashing against her you know she grieves by protecting the people that she loves and her idea of protection is i take the blow i you know i cradle you when we fall she does that with callum where i'm gonna go off the cliff to save Ezrin and zim and i'm just gonna trust that somebody's that Callum's gonna catch me you know but she's she's the risk taker usually um and most of the time when she's being really done with callum is when like he's being the risk taker which again it's like you you dislike in others what you don't actually like in yourself because like there's a part of her that has to know that it's self- destructive and it is and so you have Rayla and you have that you know like I firmly believe in by the end of Through the Moon Rayla knows she needs other people in order to have things work out and like by workout it's like come back home basically of like I can save somebody else and Callum usually will save me, and, like, that's been their kind of system of, like, Riel's looking after everyone else and Callum's looking after her. And she also looks after him. But again, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to a lot of stuff later. Because, um, like, I haven't even touched on, like, some of her stuff with, like, Riel and Soren, not real and Sorin, um, but Claudia and Soren and Viren and Eregos. And just, like, there's so many parallels. It makes me so happy. Um... And so then you get to through the moon and you're like, okay, well, if she knows that she needs help for things to work out, then why does she go after and alone? And it's like, well, she doesn't think that it would be enough. Like, you know, she simultaneously has come to depend on people at the same time that she's lost everybody else that she loves. And that's like an increasingly fragile thing. So like when she says to Count, like, you're in a way, everyone that I love except you, she's tunnel visioned so hard because of the trauma, because of course she loves Ezra, and of course she, you know, is growing to love Soren as family and stuff like that, and she knows she has other people who care about her, but it doesn't feel like it, and they're not the ones running after her into danger, right? And so it's like, you know, she doesn't she doesn't even say Athari. Like, Athari's still there, but she's so s- trapped in her own sort of cycle, and, like, real is a character who's very cyclical in nature like her binding is circular then that gets broken she gets her pendant she's gonna die Callum breaks the pendant it's literally circular you know like she goes off like she has a very full circle character arc in terms of like repeating motifs which i think is like really interesting and like i'll have to look and see how much maybe with through the moon even how much it could fit into maybe like a chiastic like a ring structure but i'm curious and i'm curious to see how much that'll keep going in the future um see now i forget kind of what i was talking about but yeah rayla has that like mindset of like she thinks that i need other people for it to work out but they may not come home because i always mess everything up like rayla Has gotten over her, her, um, you know, she doesn't hesitate anymore. She always feels like she knows what the right thing to do is, and a lot of that's because of Callum and because of the like taking a stand, and you know, like that removed her hesitation. But I think you can see in Through the Moon, it hasn't taken away the idea that it's not just her hesitance that's the mistake, she feels like she's the mistake, like there's something fundamentally wrong and flawed in her and like you can see her miss her quote-unquote mistake with the assassins you know she's reminded of it they call her a liar they call her a traitor What good is an assassin who doesn't kill anyone and that hits even harder because she's terrified that she hasn't actually killed viren and she's been banished as a traitor to her people and she's about to lie to Cal so she's about to be all of these terrible things that she probably already thinks that she is and it's like. She's going to be in a really dark place in season four and I definitely think this maybe more with the trigger warning would be but like I definitely think that part of for of what she thinks is like. She thinks that she can probably kill Viren and that she won't come back, but that's the safest route. Like, I really don't think Rayla believes she's actually going to get to come out of this alive. I think she wants to. I think the fact that she wants to live so badly kind of terrifies her now. Because that wasn't the case in, like, season one and season two. And now it is. So, like, again, like, she's evolving. She's growing as a person. She's developing a healthier sense of self. She's developing healthier relationships. But at the same time, she's taking a massive step back. Um, And I just really like my Orpheus and Eurydice meta that I wrote with her being Eurydice. Of being taken into the underworld or going into the underworld and needing to be rescued. And, like, you know, in the story, Orpheus looks back and that's why he loses her. But Calum doesn't look back. And I think that speaks to his own blind spots of like he loves Rila so much, and he knows her so well, and so whenever she does do something that doesn't like further their relationship, it like confuses him because normally she always has, and so like he doesn't see through the moon coming, and like we're gonna we're gonna pop over because I can only do half hour sessions uh, at a time, but we're gonna we're gonna keep back and i'm eating a pickle as a snack so unintentional rhyme so no mike don't move hopefully that wasn't too loud if so my apologies it literally crashed into my palm um and so yeah and so real is this character who has a lot of internal conflict has a lot of has so much grief is just always carrying this burden she feels like she has to protect everyone she feels like it's all on her to redeem herself to redeem her family you know she simultaneously just thinks like she deserves some like really terrible treatment like from her people and like it is such an unfair punishment and like she's she's not even angry at them for it really she's like she's angry at authority at first and then she just like folds and like You know, and she just thinks that it's her. She thinks that it's like she says, like, it's me and it's all my fault. She just thinks that there's something fundamentally wrong with her. And I think it's really interesting to have her as the heroic protagonist that she is because she often is this like moral through line when it comes to dark magic. She is a good leader, she is a good protector. You know, to have a character whose greatest strength is also their greatest flaw in her in her selflessness. And, like, what that, you know, she, she does heroic things. And it's not like she wants to risk herself always, but she feels really, like she has to. And, like, right or wrong, that's what she does. And so I think it's so interesting that she has parallels with, like, so many other people in the show in, like, kind of makes me lose my mind because she has the parallels with like Harrow in terms of paying the price and being the leader and having regrets and thinking that like you know moments of weakness moments of strength are actually moments of weakness if you fold first if you put your sword down first like what are you doing and then because she's young she gets to grow beyond what Harrow thought even if some of it still trips her up because she can't let go of the past and she feels like she has to fix things so other people don't die and so she has that and she also has parallels to Viren of being paranoid of having that like something's going to go wrong of having that being like you know Viren thinks that he's important Rila thinks that like she is good at things and like her skills are important and just all of that and then obviously like I've talked more about Rila's parallels to Claudia before of like you know the father who asks you to do terrible things, and you kind of go along with it. And then you know, Reela has her breaking point earlier, and Claudia arguably doesn't have a breaking point. And I think that's like their main differences. And the white hair, and the relationship to Callum, and the fact that like Reela is the one who killed Veeran, and Claudia is the one who brings him back. You know, like they're careening on a, a mat onto a like a massive collision course because like thematically it's just so entangled in, in and like enmeshed and like real is almost like this dark Daughter figure to Viren in some ways. Like if I can figure out how to put that into a meta or one shot, I will because like it's it's there. And then you also have like obviously I've I've talked before I like Callum really also parallels Claudia as a mage and really parallels Viren, um, you know, and Rayla kind of real and Ezrin kind of being the heroes to Callum's Viren in some ways, and like him being a Viren who makes all the right choices, but Rayla also has a lot of parallels to Erevos, so on the other hand, she's also like this mirror reflection of Erevos, of the elven warrior mage who has been banished as a traitor, who no one can see without magical means, you know, outcasted from the home, like, in imprisoned in a capacity you know stuck between life and death thematically who's been ghosted like Erebos has very clearly been ghosted and the same way that rayla has been erased by her village in a lot of ways you know um again we don't talk about reala she's there bruno maybe but like um you know so and again like rayla having to work to earn Callum's trust the same way that Erebos is like, well, let me earn your trust. So, and again, like Rilla is now responsible for Erebos' one loss. And she's the only person who knows that he's alive. Cause I do still firmly believe that like the Viren we saw in the cocoon, which is an Erebos, growing. And like, that's what that was, um, you know? And it's not like Rila was on Erebos' radar before, but like she technically found his key on Callum's behalf. But like, she's the one who found it. And, you know, and there's all in her, like, her parents clearly knew what the mirror was, because they stayed to defend it, even when they were gonna have somebody take the egg, and there's something else to defend, you know, and like, Renan knew what the mirror was, and just like, all those sorts of things. So I'm like, there's, there's so much here. So I'm like, Rayla, and Erevos and Claudia, even though, like, ironically, the one person Rayla has gone to hunt is Viren, and she's, he's the one that she has, like, the least kind of, like, beef with in terms of parallels and whatever but her and claudia and arabels are just like all heading towards this massive collision course and i'm so excited to see how that shit explodes and whether it'll be season four or season five or whatever because like it's coming and it's been building like her and claudia in particular have been building now for like two seasons and it's just gotten worse and worse and bigger and bigger and like Season four is clearly going to be a low point for both of them, and like, I'm just super fucking pumped for it. Like, I'm so excited. Um, Yeah, so I guess the other thing that I wanted to say, and I would like to do a more in-depth meta about it now, so maybe I won't say all my thoughts here, but another thing that I think is really interesting in terms of like, Rayla has her redemption for her parents' crimes, but in a lot of ways the show is putting her on a redemption for the way that she enters the narrative as an antagonist because she's the primary antagonist alongside renan even before veer and claudia and soren are because while they're you know have varying levels of jerkiness maybe in the in the beginning claudia not really at all but i still always knew there was something disturbing about her like two episodes in, i was like what the fuck is that about so claudia has her shadiness from the start but like you have Rila who's presented as again this deeply moral character she's she can't kill someone she can't kill somebody that she views as innocent it's just not how it works for her and so she's presented as this deeply moral person who's on the wrong quote-unquote side for that capacity for murder and you know and just like there's something about her entering the show as the antagonist because Viren, everybody else wants to save the king except for the Moonshadow Elves, except for her and Renan as far as names go. Everybody else wants to save the king. So even if we're sympathetic to the elves, we also do not want King Harrow to die. We like him. We're more attached to the humans. We know more of the humans. We're, just, we're more on their side as far as that goes, at least. And so... You have Rilla who's entering and who comes in in this very antagonistic way. And again, we, the audience, know she's spared humans. The boys don't. So Calum's just kind of grasping at straws. Again, reading her too well, being like, you know, this is wrong. And she says that I'm not supposed to have a moral code. It doesn't matter. As though life and death are concepts divorced from right and wrong, which again is like its own really interesting cognitive dissonance that she was living under. And then it becomes the only thing that really governs her later. Is her moral compass, and is just ah so good, and so you have you have Rila who's entering the story, and then the narrative is redeeming her for that initial transgression. So like the third episode of the series works overdrive to make Rayla a heroic character in ways that she wasn't before, because you know she puts her troop in danger she doesn't kill the guard but you're not sure like it's not like you're attached to the guards and you're not like oh yeah you know you're just like oh shit like you know you're intrigued but you're not like concerned usually on a first view and then you're like okay and then she lies about it and you start to see you know like she has a lot of shady behavior and i honestly fucking love it i think it's super fascinating i think it speaks to her culture of like you know you're not supposed to show fear you're supposed to lie um, and so even the fact that Runan is betrayed by her dishonesty proves that, like, either she was just really convincing for most of her life, or she was a lot more open, and that's also just a really funny, like, teenage- it's, like, the most high-stakes teenager, little by lie you could tell on your, like, first trip away from home, spring break, um, on your assassin mission, um, and we see lying come back to real time and time again. And just like that being, again, one of her consistent goats. like she's very much a character who's haunted by somebody. And I'm really excited, I guess, to see the ways, maybe mostly with Callum in season four, to see the ways that she haunts other people. I'm really excited for that flip side. I wanna see her become more of an, you know, even the invisibility, like I want her to embody moon magic, but also, And this is more possibly something that, like, I think is reflected in her character and then I've also used the concept in my own writing both in like some of my dragon prince fanfictions and also in my original work of like the moon can change its faces as many times as it wants but it's still always the moon you can't always see it you don't always see the same sides or the same faces of it but it's still always the moon there's still always that consistency and i think rayla is a great embodiment of the moon thematically because she has all these different faces she has all these different forms you know human rayla when she's invisible you know she acts like she doesn't care even when she cares like so fucking much she acts like she's fine even when she's very clearly in a lot of pain and so she has all these like faces that she tries on and a couple of even just dis- you know waltzing in is the assassin who's so ready to kill like that's not who she actually is she's putting on that persona and then one by one she gets those like, stripped down and down until she it's actually just who she is which is this heroic amazing person who has been through a lot and who has a lot of grief and is still processing a lot of those things even through the moon again trying to pretend kind of that she's doing better than she is and she doesn't talk about the nightmares and you know just like all those sorts of things of like but real is her own consistency her moral goodness the fact that she cares how compassionate she is even when it's really inconvenient for her to be compassionate is her greatest strength and it's what saves her every time It also sometimes gets her into danger but like that's going to be her core that's going to get her through the next storm that she's gone into so i think that's like really beautiful that she has that consistency of like she's the moon with all the different sides but she's still always the moon she's still always herself deep down even as she's continually figuring out who that is and i do think that like while all the characters have identity You know, like, that's a big thing of, like, who are you? Like, who are you becoming are, like, really big questions in the series. But Rayla is probably the one who has that said the most overtly. Because, like, the first question, the first line ever said to her is Marcos being, like, who are you? And then the eyes and just all that. So, like, it's so loaded in the storm, the lightning. So, you have, like, the illumination. It's, like, her king but also like he's gone and it's like the echoes and it's his death and it's never raining and you're she water it's just so fucking good pickle bite hopefully again not too loud reading bothers you i'm so sorry but i'm hungry and then and yeah and then also like again you have like Really, just foiling. And again, some people in the director's foil everybody else. Like, that's not unique. And I also think I love that, like, she's snarky without ever being super, super mean. You know, she is able to admit when she doesn't have a point. She waits until her breaking point every time. And the, she's get, again, is getting better of not waiting up until that point, of trying to communicate. She's still willing to go it alone, you know, she goes from thinking that she can't rely on Callum at all to depending on him to being scared of how much she depends on him and even just fear, you know, like as something in her arc that's so loaded is just being afraid. And, you know, one moment that always stuck out to me in like early season two is when she goes to Lou Jane and she admits, like, I'm afraid of hurting him. And it's like she she will admit that she's scared. To another of Wealth. And, like, that was one of my indications that, like, fuck. She cares about Callum so much. And, like, she cares about Ezrin so much. Like, I think one thing that's really underrated about her is, like, yes, when Callum is ill, she's worried for him. But she's still willing to go with Ezrin even when he's grieving. And, like, that's her priority. And I think, again, like, how much she cares for Ezrin is really important for their individual relationship. And it's also one of the reasons why her and Callum work. Because he knows... That she loves his baby brother as much as he does and like that's really important to him especially like in a partner and romantic or platonic it's like if he if you're gonna be his 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 right hand if you're gonna be his partner in life you have to care about his baby brother that's just how it works and that's kind of one of the reasons why i think him and claudia were always sort of doomed because he clearly doesn't trust again we'll talk about calum at one point on this podcast i'm trying to keep it succinct and so God, what else with Rayla? I think even, like, I don't know. I was, oh, that's right. I was thinking, again, I might do more of an official meta on this later. Um, um, But yeah, but just one of the really interesting things that happens is that, like, all the characters especially the Zadian characters, have this idea of, like, trauma being in the body. I'm also playing chess. And kind of, like, trauma, the body is the site of trauma. And that's a really common, like, thing in, like, the gothic and whatever. And one of the ways that that like works is you know it's really common in the gothic particularly because like the gothic is all about horror is all about terror and dread so it's not so much of like you open the door and you're horrified by what's behind it it's like you're terrified of what might be behind the door and you haven't opened it yet That's us the gothic and so the gothic is about like even if your brain isn't totally picking up on things your body is um it's I particularly looked at it through, like, the lens of, I think, like, um, feminism, like, a women's gothic lit course, but it's can be true for anyone. And I think that's something we see uniquely in Zadian people. They hold a lot of trauma in the body. And one of the reasons I think that that's the case is because their bodies can be sites of trauma and of like dark magic you know it's not just like um it's not like you know Rila has trauma in the body because of her hand and because of the continuing wrist pain and then she also has trauma in the body because she could literally be spell parts and so while dark mages are destructive to the world around them and to their victims by violating their own bodies and their victims bodies if it's a sentient enough creature we're like that applies because it doesn't always But if it's a sentient enough creature where that applies, um, it's one of those really interesting things where like, I don't know, you can just have Rayla who is like, again, she just, she just, she carries so much in her all the time. And she doesn't necessarily like remove a lot of it. And I think a lot of that is to her detriment. Um, and a lot of it is super interesting. And again, I would want to talk about it more in relation to like the body as a site of trauma, in regards to like a lot of the characters in the show would apply, like Claudia Wood, Viran Wood, um the Dragon Queen would. Again, we see it a lot with basically all the Xanian characters, um, because they're coming at it from that specific context. And you know we kind of see it and like, um, in some of the dark mage characters, and again, Rila having those like parallels of dark magic and what that's done to her as a person, and just like all those sorts of things that are all like really interesting. Um, and yeah, and so Rila's just a character where I'm like, she has a lot going on. I love her dearly um if you want me to expand on any of these ramblings please feel free i realize i talk a lot about like narrative maybe not so much about like personality um i feel like the personalities are like both really good and kind of self-explanatory because they're so solid like there's not that much um you know and i think it's all really interesting And I love it a lot. And so um, I'm gonna go back to my pickle and my chess game. But I hope you enjoyed this. Again, I'm really looking forward to doing more kind of like episode character breakdowns. Next up is Soren. If you're interested in voting, feel free to shoot me an ask. Or if you want to go the extra mile, you can support me on Patreon at Words with Dragons, two dollars a month. But love you forever, um, and you can get early access to things. I think it's fun. Um, and yeah, and so I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed this character breakdown. I might try and have them be more like format in the future. I might just go with it because I do kind of like the winging it format. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening and dragons out.